a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. My name is Rob Marshall. This is our final Heart of the Bookkeeper for 2023. And as always, we have a fantastic guest who has a story to share, a story I believe you will really enjoy. Our guest name is Ness Hartke, and she is the owner of In Order Business Solutions based in the heartland of regional New South Wales. Discovering the inner bookkeeper, the challenges of COVID, developing a bookkeeping business with toddlers in tow, polo cross, ultra marathons, and much more are what is in store for you in this episode. Let's delve into the heart of this bookkeeper. It is a super thrill for me to have a guest today. Her name is Ness Hartgee. Hartgee. We're gonna we're gonna really examine that last name. We've been, I've been practicing it in the shower. I've been practicing it in all sorts of places. I still don't reckon I've got it right. Welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper, Ness Hartgee. And tell me if I've got that right. Just about Rob. It's Ness Hartgee. Um, it's German. Dad's German. So yeah. And for. Um, all my life, I've been explaining to people how to pronounce that. And when you spell it for people, they often look at you and think, have you missed out a vowel land love? And you're like, no, I've been <laughs> spelling it all my life. That's how it is. So, yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a it's an absolute uh, delight to have you, Ness. Um, we've got to know you a little bit across a um, a program that we have at the Institute of Certified Book- Bookkeepers called Tuesdays with ICB. And for those who haven't tuned into Tuesdays with ICB, you need to get on board. We have a lot of fun first Tuesday of the month. Um, of each calendar month, and uh, Ness is a, a regular on there, and I've got to to know Ness a little bit. I'm going to do something to kick today's show off. I'm going to go to the end before we get to the beginning. Well, maybe not to the end. I'm going to go to the present, and I'm going to start off by asking you, Ness, what is it most that you love about being a bookkeeper and why? And I'm, before you answer that, and you can think on that, because I've thrown you under the bus on that one straight away. You have. We normally, we, we normally talk about that sort of thing right at the end. I'm going to quote you, okay? I loved this quote. Now, Ness is the owner of In Order uh, Business Solutions, um, and she is a sole trader, and this is her quote. I have an awesome boss. I work around school times and toddler nappies. I get to work in a limited capacity during school holidays and I make more money than I would have elsewhere. I love that quote. So, Ness, tell me, why do you love being a bookkeeper other than what I've just read from your very own lips? Uh, probably the thing that I love about it where compared to what I was doing previous to this, which we will probably get into later, is that... For most part, my clients have spent their money. They can't do anything about it. So I do my data entry, keep their files up to date, really nice and tidy. But I can also provide help and advice and support for things in the future. Yeah. Um, so that's what I enjoy about being a bookkeeper. I love I love getting files that are a little bit messy and getting them all really neat and tidy and down to the last cent. Um, and the working for myself part, now when I look at it, I don't think I could actually work for anybody else ever again because it does provide that flexibility around my busy family and my busy life. So that's that's what I love about it. 
I love that you call out you've got an awesome boss too, by the way. So she's pretty good. You're celebra- <laughs> she's pretty good, yeah. You're celebrating if you've just tuned in and you missed the first part of that. And yes, he's a, um, a sole trader in the bookkeeping world. And it's one of the things that I've loved throughout this year is we've examined different individuals in our bookkeeping space, um, many who've got big practices, many who are in partnership perhaps and are working well with a partner, those who are working within industry or within a a corporation perhaps um, as an employed bookkeeper, but we also have so many who are self-employed and are awesome bosses like uh, (laughs) Ness Haji, and I'm still struggling with that last name, so we're going to get to that bit in a minute. Um, But I I just saw that quote from you and I just, it just really resonated with me. I thought that was so, so good. And I'm going to now go right back to the start. You got to tell me first, heart G. Heart uh, tell me the heart G. <laughs> okay. We'll go get the G bit yep. properly. What are the origins of that, and how does that work? So my dad is German. He came out from Germany when he was about fifteen or sixteen year old with his parents and his siblings. Um, I think there's about four or five brothers and a couple of sisters. And they had the choice of immigrating to Canada or Australia and they chose Australia. And I think they landed in Adelaide, ended up in Sydney and then ended up out at Corindai in New South Wales. And then somehow he ended up around Baradine and Pilliga and that's where he met my mother who grew up in Baradine and Gwapiga. So... Do you tap into your German background much? You know, obviously, Dad had a... I'm already noting that, as I do, and I ask my guests the same question, who who is the most inspirational person or persons in your life to date? And you, in bold letters, put my parents. So Dad obviously had a a big influence. Did the, the German side of the influence come through or was he one of those who came out to a new land, landed and went, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm an Aussie. He was definitely that sort of person. Uh, growing up, I didn't really know either of my grandparents, either from my mum or my dad's side. Um, there's a lot of um, fractured family in there, and so dad didn't speak German. When he came over here, he decided that the easiest way to assimilate into Australia was to become an Australian. So he had to learn a whole new language and to write. And if you met my dad, you wouldn't pick, apart from his surname, you wouldn't pick that he was German. Wow. Uh, Yeah, but on the other hand, I see a lot of German qualities in us, in our attention to detail, our work ethic. And even in my children, I see my boys do certain things. I'm like, oh, dear, that's the German coming out in them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... um... Germany itself, is that something you kind of gravitate to? Have you been back to Germany and visited some of perhaps your family roots? I went back there in 2018. I entered the lotto to win a place in the Berlin Marathon. I, oh, wow. I generally don't win things and you have to, unless you're an elite, you have to enter a ballot and I got selected to go and run. So the first thing I did was message my dad and say, hey, I'm off to Germany in September. Are you and mum going? And they couldn't resist because he hadn't actually been back since he came over here. But we landed in Berlin 
and we stayed in an Airbnb and I've never felt so at home in a city. Like I'd never been there. I can't speak German, but it just it was such an amazing time and experience. And then we travelled around Germany for two weeks into various smaller towns and got to meet up with his sister who came back to Germany with his parents and spend some time there. And it was just, oh, I, I want to go back. I could go back and spend months there because I just, whether it's the fact that my dad is German, but I just really loved it, really felt at home, loved the food, loved their beer. Um, so I guess I am very German. You have so hit on um, on something there in 2019, so a year after you. Uh, we went to, my wife and I went and spent some time in Austria. I had to go and indulge in her uh, her love of the sound of music. We uh, twirled around on the mountain like Maria, or Jackie twirled and I videoed. Um, and then we got the opportunity to go up into Bavaria. And I'm not a big beer drinker. I'm not, um, uh, believe it or not, some may find that uh, strange, but I'm not, I'm not a big beer drinker. But I had to try the Bavarian beer because that's what you do when yep. you're in Bavaria. Wowzers, yeah, it was a case of then Jackie had to go, no, 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 back down, Buster, you know. I was sort of like, bring me the next pot, you know. It was so good. I don't know what it um, is so, about it, but it is really, really good, really good beer. Yeah, yeah, I've got to say, sorry, Aussie beer makers, if you're listening in, uh, you suck compared to German beer. Um, I must say we have a little uh, brewery here in Dubbo and they do do a German style of beer and it's actually really nice. Right, there you go. If you, you shut, go. shut well, your eyes, you, I might be back in, in little towns in back Germany. Back in Germany. Yeah, absolutely. So didn't get to the, the main part of Germany. Obviously, Bavaria was where we landed because it's just across the border from Austria, but yeah. we have definitely got that on our bucket list. You then went on a bit of a journey. So born in, and you're going to help me with these names as well, because, <laughs> you know, when it comes to all names of Australian towns, I'm about as West Australian as you've got. Now, remember, in Western Australia, everything just ends in up, you know, mile up, binning up, boying up, you know, they, I could rattle off another 30 of them. You were born in Weewa. Weewaw. In New South. Weewaw. 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 Okay. But then very quickly landed in, uh, everybody listening in is going. They were laughing at let, you. Let us know. But <laughs> Peliga? Uh, Peliga? So it was Peliga. So we lived at Peliga, Peliga. And which is a small town in the, well, it's a village in the northwestern New South Wales. And Weewall was our closest hospital. So hence why I was born at Weewall, but we lived at Peliga. So hands down, the most important question, always on Heart of the Bookkeeper, in fact, the most important question I think in life is where do you call home? Because you don't live in Paliga anymore. No. You live in, here we go, <laughs> folks, Guri? 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 Okay. <laughs> I love this. It's great. <laughs> You lived in Walgett for a while. I can say that one because mainly because of that show that used to be on TV that we yep. don't talk about anymore. No, we the don't, set, do we? Yep. Yeah, the Setchateri. But um, okay, so where's home? Because you have you've also lived in Warren, in Tamworth. These ones I can say: yep. Springshaw in Queensland, Harden, Orange. I know Orange, Swan Hill in Victoria, and Guar Geary. Geary, yeah. So where is home? Pilliga is always, will always be where I feel at home. Even though I left there, we left there when I was eight years old and moved to Walgett. 
but I used to go back and spend every holidays with my surrogate grandparents. They had horses, they had cattle, so I would go back I back there. Even throughout high school, I'd get off the bus, spend a night with mum and dad, and then be like, take me back to Pilliga so I can go and spend time back there. But even now, and I pass through there every now and then on my way to other things, and you drive in from the Canamble side, which I think would be sort of east of Pilliga, and you come through the pine forest, and that's where some people might have heard of Pilliga. There's a big um, pine forest and that out there. But you drive in and it's sandy and there's just something about it. I can get halfway on that drive and I just feel my whole body relaxes. Like I just feel like this is where home is. And the town's nothing like it was. There's no one that I know that sort of still lives there, but it just, it's one spot that feels like home to me. You've just nailed it. I'm seriously on a mission to convince the world that one of the most important things to to resonate with or to relax in is to sit and close your eyes and just remember where you feel you're from. If you watch the movie Saving Private Ryan, one of my favourite all-time movies, they just about spend the whole movie quizzing each other where they're from. Not where do they live, where they're from. Because it's a question, even in wartime, it gives a sense of peace. It gives a sense of relaxation. Uh, I've mentioned it many times, a bit like Paliga. You know, my hometown is a little place called Harvey. Haven't lived there for nearly 30 years, I think it works out to be. But when I drive through, like you just explained about Paliga, the minute I can get anywhere close and I can smell the orange or mandarin blossom yep. and the hay that's being cut at the moment all around Harvey. It just, I just, I've just get this sense of relaxation, you know, of just feeling good. Yep. And uh, I think it's something I'd encourage all our listeners, if you're having a stressful day right now, go and find a nice chair and just close your eyes and think about that place that you're from that brings back so many good memories. And it doesn't have to be where you were born or necessarily where you lived for a while. It's wherever you resonate with that has so many happy memories, of course. So tell me about Geary. Geary. That's where you live now? Yes. Where's that? It is a little, again, another little village. I love my little villages. It's on the (laughs) highway between Dubbo and Orange and we're about 25 kilometres southeast of Dubbo. It's basically just a dot on the map. We have a shop, a servo, a club and a pub. Um, It's all you need. It's all you need. (laughs) I live about 2Ks out of the village. We have a small farm, about 150 acres. We have too many horses, some cattle, some sheep, dogs. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So... um, what is it, down to the, the local pub on a Friday night for a, a schnitty and some chips or is that, the, Gen- is that the, the night out? Generally we go to the club for some Chinese and the meat ruffles and lately they've yeah. been putting on a, a singer of a Saturday night so that's been really good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Excellent. Have you got up and is it like no. you know, one of those ones where you can get up and have a crack yourself? No, they no? have had karaoke oh, okay. but I missed that week. Thank right. God. No one needs to listen to that. <laughs> Excellent. I asked you right at the get-go the question that we normally ask at the end or quite often ask at the end, and that's why you love being a bookkeeper now. So clearly we've established that bookkeeping is something you you love to get up out of bed and do every day. That wasn't always the case. I do know that your story wasn't always about bookkeeping. Um, If you go back, say, to your teenage years, your school years or whatever, 
Was there any thought that you might end up in financial services, which you ended up doing in a different type of financial service to bookkeeping? We'll get into that. But was that the dream or was it, you know, going to be a nurse or a, a famous cricket player or what, what, was, the, what was the thinking? I knew, I knew you'd weave cricket into there somehow. No, <laughs> I, I, as a small child, I wanted to be a vet and then I realised I might have to put animals down and I couldn't handle that right. anymore. But all through school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then all I knew that I actually wanted to do when I left school was to sit on a horse and muster cattle all day. So that's what right. I went and did. But there was definitely, there was no inclination that I would end up in a financial sort of industry. So the love of horses, was that because did dad farm? Did he have horses or my, how did that come about? My dad worked for some people who had a stock horse stud and so I can't even remember learning how to ride. I was probably about 18 months, two years, three years old and learning how to ride and it just continued from there. They had lots and lots, too many horses to count and that was how I spent my days. And with horses, there seems to be, when I talk to people who colloquially we call horsey people, we won't go there because that's probably improper in today's age, but uh, people who love horses, there seems to be that connection between animal and, and the person that is at a level for those of us who aren't connected with horses quite often can't understand. Is that Was that evident for you early? Did you just feel that connection with, with the horse? Yeah, yeah, I believe I did. And my uh, the gentleman that was like my grandfather, he had a picture of me the first time I sat me on a horse and I was in like a little terry toweling hat and a singlet and shorts. <laughs> and he said, we just sat you on the horse and you just sat there like you should have been there. Like He said there was yeah. nowhere else you needed to be. And, and I guess I'd always grown up with them. So you can imagine being a, a tiny little toddler and then there's these big, you know, 300, 400, 500 kilo animals. But I don't ever remember being scared of them or worried about them. And and I I think that horses really, when they say that they do, they really pick up on how you were feeling. And because I had no fear, they were just big gentle giants. And and. Again, you either have that connection with them or you don't. You're either a horse person or you're not. And once you are, you're in it for life. I, I can't imagine life without horses. Well, it'll be an interesting photo, the photo of me being put on a horse for the first time <laughs> because they they put me on a horse in a, in a program we used to have at school called Outdoor Ed. If there's a few people out there of sort of the 80s vintage, you might remember <laughs> Outdoor Education. I don't know if they have that anymore. Um, so they took us to a horse stud. Uh, living in a regional area, they whacked me on a horse. I thought, yeah, this is good. I'm a, you know, I'm a farm boy. Uh, within about 30 seconds, I was literally falling off the horse, not because I couldn't stay on, but because I couldn't breathe. I suddenly broke out in the worst hives you can ever imagine. <laughs> and it turns out I'm anaphylactic to Allergic. horses. So, yeah, that didn't work out <laughs> well for me. So I'm glad there's no photo of me sitting on a horse for the first time because it would probably be like a horror movie. So as a result, of, I can't even go near the local trotting oh. track without uh, uh, breaking out. So uh, not, not a good result for me with horses. I think they're a wonderful animal, but I just can't go within 50 feet of them. Yeah, I'd stay away if I was like that too, Rob, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, EpiPen at the ready. When you uh, got through your school years, you obviously the, the horse um, mustering thing maybe was there as an option. 
but financial planning became something that entered your life and um, is the interesting bit for me in this conversation with you because um, you've called it out with me that you actually like being a financial planner and enjoyed it and probably to this day would still be a financial planner except for, and we'll get to the except for uh, shortly, where, where did financial planning come into play or what moment did that happen? So to, in the early 2000s when we were living at Warren and we were going through the drought and I was only working casually on the farm but that work was drying up with the amount of livestock that we were carrying. So I got a job working at a local pharmacy just in the back office, totally not my wheelhouse. I went from chasing cows to working in a pharmacy. But 2004, we moved to Victoria, still had my job in a pharmacy down there, working in the dispensary. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I was at a point where I feel I needed to do something more, go and do something else or go back to uni and become a pharmacist. And one day the pharmacist said to me, she said, oh, look, you know, if you want to do more training, we can help you out or because you do know that you're better than this. You're better than just being here in the dispensary. Little did she know I'd been going for another job in a financial planning firm to become a para planner, which is basically just the junior person for a financial planner. And I went to this with no experience in the financial services industry whatsoever, but they obviously liked me, so I got this job. So then I had to, a week later, tell the pharmacist, hey, you know how you said that? Well, this is what I'm going to do. (laughs) And I really enjoyed, like, one, I enjoyed working inside. Two, they shut over Christmas for two weeks, which unlike working in a pharmacy, you're flat out in between Christmas and New Year. And I was able to work on the job, work my way up and become a financial planner. And during that time, I also bought into part of the business. We restructured it and the financial planners were able to buy into the business. And that I just loved. I loved being part of it and being involved in making the decisions. And it was there that the accountant who was getting out of the business taught me how to do the bookkeeping because the other, it's really funny, it was probably seen as a female's job, whereas the other two older men were the financial planners and then I would do the bookkeeping. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, this is actually pretty good. I like this. And, you know, taught me really good processes, like the end of month process. So back then nothing was live and it was all manual. So we were lots of printing and folders for all our end of month recs. And then we moved back up to the Dubbo area, very start of 2012 So I went to become a financial planner in a large regional bank, uh, doing lots of kilometres. I looked after four or five branches, but I just loved it. Like it was very different to go to the banking world outside of private practice. But I just, I loved helping clients and I'd wake up in the night and I'd be a bit worried, oh, you know, gosh, maybe have I done the wrong thing by this client because they come to you with their whole superannuation balance and you need to work out the mm. best the best place for it. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. These people just trust you to do, do this by them, do this for them. Um, and then I had Buster, my first child, June 2013. I always have to ask him when he's born. It's terrible. 
Mm, maybe not mum of the year yeah, type no, stuff. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely not putting my <laughs> hand up for that. Um, so he was born and we had really good leave within the bank and the government paid parental leave. So I think I worked out I could take my 12 months leave and nearly be paid the whole time, which was very handy. But it was about April in 2014, March or April, when they came, the, the bank had come to me and said, but we're getting ready for your return to work. We need to know if you're coming back. We can only offer you the position that you had. So it would be full-time. We don't have capacity for a part-time position, which that's well within their rights and I knew that. But within with me, the branches I looked after, I was doing a 1,000 kilometres a week, leaving home at 7 and getting home at 7 most days. Wow. Uh, my partner, he doesn't work a nine-to-five job. He can get called away at the last minute to Queensland, Victoria, South Australia. So I actually looked at him one day and I said, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go back to doing what I was doing. And he's like, why? I said, well, what are we going to do if I'm out at Condobolin and you're here and you get called to South Australia? Like, we can't just leave a child in, in daycare. <laughs> and, and he never actually thought about that which is quite um, amusing. And <laughs> so then I had to make a decision as to what I was going to do. And so my mum, they didn't live near us then. They do now, which is great. But back then they lived in the south of New South Wales and she was doing some bookkeeping jobs for some people up here not far from where I live. And she would come up once a month for about a week and do that. And she was like, oh, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do the travel. Would you like to take over these jobs? And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I did it in the financial planning business. I'm sure I'll be able to pick this up. No worries. And I probably did think it would just be a stopgap. I just thought, oh, you know, I'll do this for a bit and, and then I'll be able to find something else. But here we are. It's 2023 and I've been at it since 2014. I don't think I'm going anywhere. That's an amazing story because so many of our guests in the past, I've called this out, have been what you might call accidental bookkeepers. We've talked about that a lot. In your case, I wouldn't call it necessarily an accidental bookkeeper. It almost became a bookkeeper by necessity, um, by yes. the sounds of it, um, that that your your particular circumstances around you, especially with your partner Joe and his job and then the situation around the financial planners requiring full-time and you having kids at that time or, or in particular your one child at that point led you to not necessarily accidentally stumbling into bookkeeping but tapping into something that you already had some acumen in, you might say, yep. um, and have expanded that. I want to ask the question because, funnily enough, in a forum I was in recently, there was some discussion around the fact that there's been a lot of things, and we won't go into politics, we won't go into particular issues or whatever, but financial planning kind of at times over the last few years has been at a little bit on the nose, you might say. There's sure. been some things that have really affected the financial planning sector, you might say. What... In your mind, you know, having spent the time you did and working the job you, you did, which you were quite happy to continue to do and in your own words possibly would still be doing now if bookkeeping hadn't become that necessity 
any is there any interconnection between what you did as a financial planner and what you now do as a bookkeeper? You know that that client relationship, perhaps, is there some similarities there? Do you think? For sure, that whole the client relationship, the the confidentiality. Like I I do tell my clients, I'm a vault. You, whatever you tell me, it doesn't go anywhere. Because yeah, obviously, I have a lot of clients who might know my partner, might know my family, might be from my area. You know, we go to the club for Chinese with groups of them. But I have to reassure them that, look, I've been at this since 2004 and client confidentiality is my big thing. But again, it is the trust. Like these people trust us to look at their bank accounts, to look at all their transactions and and do their work. Like that's a big, that's a pretty good thing to entrust someone with. So I think it's that trust and the client confidentiality that really transfers. I really like that call. Uh, that's something that 100% resonates with me. It'd be interesting to hear from those listening in who are bookkeepers, whether they also feel or resonate with that. It's something that I've said for 25 plus years now as a bookkeeper to my clients that they, you know, they have to trust me. They really don't have any choice. And I, I'll quite often have a conversation with my clients around trust because I think it's the elephant in the room. You need to get it out there. And the one thing I can assure every even client who might be listening in perhaps to Heart of the Bookkeeper, they already know this anyway, um, if you ask me, some clients I've had for 20 years, if you ask me how much money they had in the bank right now, even though I might have done their bank reconciliation and their BAS only a week ago, I wouldn't have a clue. I, I taught myself 20-odd years ago to make it about process and, and about compliance and not about trying to get too involved. Some clients as we know as bookkeepers, will request us to get involved with their financial, in the inverted commas, planning, more so, you know, cash flow forecasting, those sort of things. So you might get to get a little bit deeper then, but for many clients that we simply do the BAS for or we have some sort of involvement with payroll around, in my case, I've been able to create trust by making sure that the client is aware that I'm not walking around Bunbury, Harvey, wherever I'm from, saying, oh, did you know such and such has got X amount in the bank? You know, that, they're <laughs> the sort of things that build trust. Yeah. They're the sort of things. If a client knows that you are a vault, I love that word, um, that you are a vault as a bookkeeper, that that gets a lot of the uh, the elephant that's in the room out of the room. Yeah. It's a really, really good call. So in, in financial planning, do you think perhaps that's where things have gone wrong from time to time where there's been financial planners who haven't understood that concept well enough and have, oh. for one of another words, let that trust down perhaps? There's that and it was actually really interesting because not long after I had busted, that was when there was the, I think it was the Four Corners report into the FIFA yeah. service and the yep. Royal Commission into it. So I was quite quite glad that I wasn't working in it at the time. But I think a lot of it came from their commission structure and how they were paid, which is understandable. If you're paid from a product, you are naturally going to be pushing that product and more so in a banking situation where you are tied to certain products under that bank's banner, not so much in private practice. When we had our own firm, we did have a, a selected range of products that we could use. But I think a lot of financial planners were probably in it for their own gain too. I, if I had clients come to me and I couldn't offer them anything any better for their superannuation, for their life insurance, 
I couldn't, my values wouldn't let me then just sign them over to a bank product or another product so that then I get commissioned for it. No matter, you, you couldn't make me do it and that probably frustrated my boss at the time because <laughs> there was times when <laughs> no I wasn't doubt. writing enough business. But, yeah, I think a lot of some financial planners lost their way in the whole fee-for-no-service and not doing a good job and that really tarred the reputation of the actual financial planners that do do a really good job and I think they're essential for, for what they do. And that is the sad bit in that, as happens in so many things. You know, the accounting industry at the moment has got some real challenges. If you believe the Australian Financial <laughs> Review on a daily basis, there's some real challenges for some of the, the accounting associations, et cetera. Um, the sad bit is it's quite often a minority that cr- creates that that angst, if you want to call it, and yet so many people doing so many good things and they're caught up in that. Yep. So, I, I mean, I've, I've had a financial planner in my life for a long time now and, and he does a magnificent job, always has done for me. When needed, when called upon, he's, he's always been there for me. So um, I think we call it out, you know, the financial planners, if you're listening in today, we, we do appreciate the work you do and appreciate the skills that you have. Um, and well, I'm hopeful that the term financial planning won't have a stain to it, you know, that it will will be able to, to rectify yeah. reports like the Four Corners report. Probably didn't do it any favours, no but uh, I think those of us in bookkeeping have an appreciation for accountants and bookkeepers really good, uh, sorry, uh, accountants and financial planners because we do intertwine yep. and the really good ones that we work with just supplement or round out what we do as bookkeepers and we appreciate that. Yeah, but even in, even in our industry of bookkeeping, like you often see in the, the newspapers, like the bookkeeper that's defrauded the the business. Yeah. And so you can see yeah. why there are probably some businesses and people that have trouble trusting us because, oh, you know, I read yes. in the report this bookkeeper stole hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and we are given access to that and we could do that. So... It's in every industry in the fight. When there's money involved, there are people that are always going to be in that minority. Spot on. Spot on, yes. Money, money unfortunately, brings out the, the best and the worst yes. in people. Um, so, um, absolutely. I mentioned at the top of the show that um, one of the things that we wanted to examine was your position. You've moved on, in, as the story goes, you've moved on from being a financial planner, you've, you've moved into bookkeeping, you've teamed up with mum to a degree, which is really exciting. Well, mum was pretty happy because she was able to get some uh, clients' uh, service that she clearly yep. was uh, being challenged by, let's put it that way. And then COVID struck, um, the dreaded pandemic, and right smack bang in the middle of it, you decide to have another baby. Is that, well, the, have I got the story right? Well, look, it was a bit of a surprise, Rob, so I didn't really make an active decision. <laughs> and, it, and it's really uh, quite amusing because I was working for a business, I was working remotely and we were looking after payroll for pharmacies all around Australia and I was coming up to another school holidays and I just thought, oh, even though I was only working remotely for three days of the week, I just, there was something in me that said I can't go on other school holidays and not spend time with Buster. So it was about August and I decided to, to finish up at that job, which was a really hard decision because I loved it. I loved the work. I loved my boss. He was amazing. Um, really loved the team. 
So there was a lot of tears making that decision and when I had to tell him. So then we go away, Foster and I go away for school holidays. I've got family at Newcastle, so we stayed there for a few days. It was really lovely, like really lovely to to have that time with him. And then it would have been not long after that, um, yeah, hi, you're going to have another one on the way. (laughs) (laughs) So not only did you leave a job, a really good job, to be in your own business, we'll now add this into the mix. In the middle of COVID when people were losing their jobs and not being able to work and uh, there was a couple of people said to me, oh, you know, but it's COVID and what about it? And I, yeah, I just had to do it and it it turned out to be a good decision. But having the baby during COVID, probably not the best decision. (laughs) (laughs) And throw into the mix your partner, Joe, he was in essential services. So he he was still going away, wasn't he? He was still doing his do. So yeah. you're having a baby, you're trying to maintain your bookkeeping business, you've got a, a toddler as well yep. at the same time and a partner who no doubt was, you know, doing an amazing service for for us at a time we needed essential services, but that was just almost like the planets colliding by the sounds of it. Yes, because Wyatt was five weeks old and I was getting so excited because we were finally going to be able to venture back out into the world. So I've got Buster who was eight at the time and Wyatt who was five weeks old and the Dubbo LGA went into lockdown and so I then had to homeschool and Joe, although he works, he was an essential service, he's a livestock buyer. So he's not like an emergency services worker. But because Armour right. still had to turn over livestock, yes. he was still yes. going to work as normal. And I'm sure there's some days he came home and just wanted to walk back out the door because I would be crying, Wyatt would be crying, Buster would be in his room, like just sort of going, I don't want to be here. Suddenly the cattle sale at Dubbo became very attractive exactly. to him, I I'm might guessing. just go yeah. back there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really, that was really hard. And... Working in the industry that we do, we have ATO deadlines. So yeah, we had the June Baz coming up due and, and I didn't take any maternity leave. I worked by myself so I couldn't actually take leave. So, yeah, that was really int- – I look back now and think, oh, man, that was crazy times. <laughs> you chuck in JobKeeper, you chuck in a whole heap of things that, you know, we now are almost starting to forget. It was – it was the craziest of times. I'm going to challenge any of the listeners now to reflect on their journey if you're still sort of perhaps rocking in a chair and are trying to shut it out of your mind. I'm sorry, but, uh, but you know, I think if we think back and those, you know, that, that first part of, or middle part of 2020 through to probably the back end of 2021, I think most of us are just walking around going, what, what is going on? Yeah. You know, I don't think any of us could kind of wrap our head around what was unfolding around us and it was changing by the minute. I'm, you know, socially it was changing and politically things were crazy and changing. But in our bookkeeping world, it, it just got even worse because things just went nuts. Yeah. And so many bookkeepers now need to reflect on the fact that if they ever doubted that they could be an effective bookkeeper, you know, tune back into what you did circa 2020, yep. 21, because it, it is amazing. I, it is absolutely amazing. I've never seen an industry that could just, like the ATO was saying, okay, so here's JobKeeper and this is what you have to do. And so overnight we had to 
implement that. And the software yeah. companies had to come up with a way that we could do it. And it was, yeah, you look back and you just think, wow. And you sort of think, well, whatever gets thrown at us from now on in should be pretty smooth sailing. So you survived. You've come out the other side, let's say. Um, let's hypothesise if the opportunity came up now because you've got Buster and Wyatt who are, you know, um, Buster's obviously, how old's Buster? So now? it's 10, 10 and Wyatt's 2. Yeah, 2. So you're getting to that phase where you're starting to get maybe some little bit of independence back. I say, well, put <laughs> inverted commas around that. Um, if the opportunity to go back into financial planning came up, would you take it or are you a no. bookkeeper for life, do you think? No, I, I'm a bookkeeper <laughs> for life now. If I did anything else, it would probably be something very different. Different, yeah. But uh, no, I wouldn't go back to it. I, Yeah, I couldn't. We're very pleased to hear that because uh, one of the challenges we have in bookkeeping across Australia is... Um, an ageing population, you might say, of bookkeepers, and you're definitely in the the younger group. So uh, Bring the we need down people. A bit. <laughs> yeah, we we need people like Ness Hartgee, and when if you say the name right, you even get a gold star. Yeah. Um, we need people like you, Ness. So I'm, I'm, we're relieved to hear that. Your love of bookkeeping is matched still by your love of horses and very much involved in the sport of polo cross. Yes. Now, again, you've got to tell a guy, remember, who's anaphylactic to horses, uh, who's spent his whole life getting as far away from horses as he can to, you know, get out on a cricket pitch or a hockey ground or a basketball court, anything other than anything associated with a horse, Explain polo cross to me. What, how does polo cross work? I think I've, is that the one that like the royals play no, and stuff like that. No, and no unfortunately, different? polo cross is uh, more the poor man's version of polo. Right. But in polo right. cross, we have six players in a team, and you're split into two sections. So you have a number one, a number two, and number three in section one, and then you have a number one, two, and three in section two. And we play on a field, I describe it as netball on a horse because your field is divided into three sections. So you have yep. your number one, they're your goal shooter and they're allowed yep. in the goal area and centre field. You have number two, they are attack and defence depending on who's got the ball and they can only go in centre field. And then you have your number three and they are your defence and they can only go in centre field and the opposing goal end. People sort of describe it as lacrosse on a horse, but I don't know anyone that plays lacrosse, so I think netball is an easy way to describe it. But we, we it. have a racket that's about a metre long with a smallish net, like the net's probably as big as my hand. Ah, that one, or yes, a, now I know. And a big softish rubber ball and you pick up the ball off the ground and you throw it and pass it. Um, you're allowed to whack somebody else's stick to try and help get the ball out. Um, it's quite, it's very, it's very physical. When when people first see it, they're like, "Oh my god!" It's so you imagine rocking up to a game and there's six horses galloping around on a field, probably look like they're going all directions, and with rackets swinging, it it probably does look pretty amazing. <laughs> I love your analogy of netball. So, you know, my wife, who was a, a really good netballer, was a goalkeeper. Yep. And I used to go and watch netball and being an ignorant netball. You're a cricket tragic, right? A cricket <laughs> tragic in AFL. I could never understand where Jackie would get herself into perfect position as a goalkeeper, put a hand up, and it would be... 
with the whistle, no contact or something. I don't know what it was. The goalkeeper used to just get a free goal every time the, the goal, <laughs> the goal shooter, I mean. Every time the ball got in her hands, I'm thinking, what's the point of having a GK? Every time the GS gets it, they just get a free goal. So does that happen in polo cross? Does the horse that's, you know, the goalkeeper get really annoyed because they're not allowed to touch the goal shooter? No, or, we're, we're allowed uh, to bump. We bump pretty hard. Uh, yeah. it's, the rules are mainly about safety. Like, there are certain angles that you... They, the umpires will pull you up for. You can't swing at the person from the wrong side of the horse. The swing's got to be upwards. You can't do big flat helicopter swings. Um, the rules are all for safety. They're not, yeah, they're not just going to ping you for nothing. It, it generally has to be something. And it's really funny as I play a number three position a lot and when you get pinged, you know full well that you were just not doing the right thing. So it's so <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I bet you the horses afterwards in the stables are like, you know, oh, you're lucky you get to be a GS. I'm one of those GK people, you know. But the, the horses are really, you can, um, the horses know their positions. You you get a good horse and it knows, like you get those horses that know where the goalpost is and then you get those really good horses that defend and, and they know, they the ones that love the game just love it. And there's a big difference in riding one that hates it and riding one that loves a game. No, you've got me hooked now. I'm definitely going to have to come and watch. It will have to be from 500 metres away with some binoculars and an EpiPen, but um, I'm definitely coming to watch Polo Cross. They, play, the they play a lot in Western Australia and, yeah, if you can farm them with a car park, you can just sit there with your binoculars yeah. on. <laughs> Love it. You mentioned also uh, getting... A win in a lottery, I think you referred to it, to go and run in an ultra marathon in... Berlin, yeah. we've got that right. Yeah, so it's just so the, it ultra was ma- ma- the Berlin yeah, Marathon. Yeah, the Berlin Marathon is just a marathon, so it's 42.2 Ks. I shouldn't say just. Most people wouldn't want no, to drive that don't far. don't say just, no. <laughs> so an ultra marathons are anything over the 42.2 kilometres, yeah. So w- tell me about ultra marathon running and why, how did you get into that and why, do you, why are you now ultra marathoning? I like to spend a lot of time by myself away from my... <laughs> Child, well, one child then. And clients maybe, just clients. quietly. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I just, there's there's something about it that you just find that really sweet spot where you could feel like you run forever and the people that you meet, and I'll preface this, I do not run the whole 50 or 100 kilometres. There's a lot of walking and hiking and talking and the people you meet as you're running along and the people you meet at aid stations, um, it's just, it's really lovely. It's like a solo sport and I do 99% of my running by myself, but occasionally I can get to Dubbo and catch up with my running friends here. But I could go to a running event anywhere and if I didn't have friends beforehand, you've got friends afterwards and it's just, I love it. I've got to run, you know, I've got to go to the top of Mount Kosciuszko and run up there and run through the Blue Mountains and in the Atherton Tablelands and it's just, I love it. I just got to say, I can't get down in my head. I'm just seeing Forrest Gump right now. (laughs) That's all I can see is Forrest Gump. Well, that's what uh, it feels like. You just, you find that sweet spot. I can understand why he kept running forever because you find that sweet spot and you just keep (laughs) running and you think, oh, I could run all day like this. I can't run across to the Caltech service station (laughs) right now after playing a tournament of cricket in New Zealand without running out of puff and feeling like I'm going to break. So I don't know how you do, you guys who do ultra marathons or even marathons. Marathons, 
I, I just can't wrap my head around that, but uh, it, that is absolutely amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. It's good well fun. Well done it's to just you. good fun. And I was in Berlin the day that Elliot Kipchoge broke the world ah, record. Yes, I remember so that. That was yep. just amazing. Yeah. He runs probably twice as fast as me, but um, wow. just good to be there. Yeah, I've got friends who are participating in marathons around the, the, the local area and they're in awe of the guys who are professionals because yeah. they go, you know, they might set a, a personal best, which they celebrate, but it might still be, you know, half an hour less than the best in the world. It's, you know, it's amazing yeah. what those guys can do and how they do it. We're going to um, finish, as I always do, um, and this is our final episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper for 2023. So uh, it would be very fitting for us to fi finish with one final subsidiary ledger as we've uh, had this year, the uh, the tangent out onto a few other things. Although one of the things I have enjoyed about this episode is that um, we have been able to to move around between books and horses and financial planning and running. marathon running. I've, I've loved it. I've loved it. But I, we will have to call out the fact this is our final episode for 2023 and we are right on Christmas. We are literally days away from Christmas. So i got to admit, this one's got a little bit of a Christmas theme. Okay, so I've got four questions for you that I'm going to fire at you. Okay. And uh, we're looking for honest answers as always. One of the things that you told me, other than ultra marathon running and polo crossing, I don't know if that's the word, but um, you've made it one. Polo cross, <laughs> yeah, I've made it one. Yes, um, <laughs> is that you love just finding a quiet spot with a good book? Yeah. So, right now, as we release this episode, um, uh, if you are listening and it is pre-Christmas, if it's post-Christmas, well, this might be too late, but. What's a good book suggestion as a gift giver for this Christmas? What's a book you've read recently that you'd go, I reckon that would be a good one to get out there and grab as a, as a stocking filler? Um, I loved Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zavin. I finished reading that on a holiday to Bali recently and it's about gaming but it's not. It's, it's just beautiful. It's so well written and it's lovely. So if you've got someone who loves to read, that is it's definitely one. So tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow and, and tomorrow. tomorrow and tomorrow. <laughs> right. And and it's about gaming. So as in like as in online gaming. Yeah. That's, the, that sort of game. No, because yeah? it's back set back in the probably 90s, I think. And it's about right. when, you know, they were making games and ah yeah it's it's very complex, but it's so easy to read and, and it took me a little bit to get into it, but I, I just loved it. You've got me. I'm got Jackie, if you're listening in, or somebody who's <laughs> listening in right now is looking to get Rob Marshall a gift for Christmas. To get, make that yeah. one a go-to. I love. I, I hunt Netflix endlessly for stories on the you know the history of gaming and yeah. those sort of role play um, options that people have created TV series around that that era. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got me on that one. I'm, I'm looking forward Read to it. somebody putting that one under the tree for me. There you go. Rob's Christmas present is sorted. Yeah, beauty. Thank you. All right. I threw this challenge to our ICB team um, in one of our final team meetings. Um, so this is question two. You've got to you got to channel your inner Mariah Carey on this one. You've got to finish this song. Oh, All no. I want for Christmas is... A good bottle of champagne. You, oh, right. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, and you've got to sing it as well. But, uh, no, 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 we've already established no. I don't do karaoke. 
<laughs> so all I want for Christmas is a good bottle of champagne. Yep. Well, okay. Uh, you could come over to our place on Christmas Day because I think my wife would go, amen, sister. If I can't uh, eat she it. She loves a good bottle. If I can't eat it or drink it, I probably don't want it, so... Beautiful. Okay. Any type of champagne? You know, we're talking, you know, the top of the range or we just go in bubbles is, is the goal? Just good bubbles. I'm, I don't need anything yep. terribly fancy, but I don't want a $10 bottle of Passion Pop. <laughs> Very good. Love it. All I want for Christmas is a good bottle of champagne. 2024 is on our doorstep. It's literally here. What's your goals, hopes and plans as a bookkeeper for 2024? Have you thought that far ahead or are you at in the zone of let's just get some breath over Christmas and then we'll work that out? No, always thinking ahead, always future-proofing. Um, I'd like to take on another employee. I've not long taken on my first one. I'd like to employ someone else for a few hours a week next year. Excellent. To yeah. allow me to focus on new clients and also my clients, my bigger clients that just, they want a little bit more from me and, and they've asked for more sort of throughout this year and I haven't been able to do that being just myself. So I'm hoping that by employing another person, I can free up a lot more time. And before we get to the last subsidiary ledger question, I did we did actually chat briefly about this in the preamble. The, the challenges for a sole trader or now you are starting to branch out into to employing some people at Christmas and we were talking about the fact that there's certain aspects of bookkeeping that doesn't go away because sand is coming down the chimney and payroll's one of them. It is really challenging, isn't it, for a bookkeeper, for somebody listening in today who's not a bookkeeper and sort of listening in wondering what bookkeepers do. We do lots of things, but probably one of the major things we do is keep the economy going by paying people yeah. or helping our clients pay people. Um, and Christmas doesn't... Uh, payroll doesn't stop for Christmas, does it? No. That's one of the challenges. No. And when you're dealing with people's money, especially employees' money, it is you can't say to them, I'll, I'll pay you in two days' time. It's it's yeah. such a, a unique little spot and it's a very important thing that still needs to be done. So when we reflect on so many things that um, we do as bookkeepers, I think that's one that's quite often not talked about enough, the challenge of annual holidays for a bookkeeper and especially around Christmas time because industry, even though it shuts down, it continues from a payroll perspective. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think that's an, a, a great outlook f by considering employing people to assist with just allowing you, and especially you're at a, still at a stage in your life where you want to spend time with Buster and Wyatt yep. and Joe and do some things and go some places, by employing good employees, especially ones who work really well alongside you, can release that yes. um, to a degree. Yeah. And uh, I hope that you can achieve that goal and that plan for 2024, Ness, because oh, that's a good I will. I am, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> so we move to the last one and, uh, you know, Christmas time brings around all sorts of fun things like um, pantomimes and, you know, um, plays around Christmas and stuff like that. So I thought we'd finish with a little role play, oh, God. you and I. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is a little bit of fun. Okay. So you've got you to stick with me on okay. this one. All right. It's Christmas Day. Okay. And it, around Paliga, unfortunately, the servo, the pub, in fact, the whole district around you has suddenly had 
something catastrophic happened, you know, there's been a storm or something and all the power's out and all the shops are shut and you've realised in your worst nightmare that you haven't bought the Christmas turkey and the prawns and stuff like that for Christmas Day. So nothing's available in the shops. The servo has got some bread and butter available. So you've gone and gotten some bread and butter and you reveal to the kids and to Joe that that's all there is and the only thing in the pantry is either Promite or Vegemite. Which one is Ness going to? Is it Promite or Vegemite to put on the... That was an amazingly long story <laughs> and role-play for that. <laughs> I'm definitely Vegemite. I think I had Promite as a teenager <sighs> and I haven't touched it. And I love Vegemite. And now Buster has a Vegemite on toast with some avocado for breakfast. So, yeah, I'm in the Vegemite game. Uh, I'm going to have to let this one go because we're at the end of 2023 and I've thrown that question out a lot and I think I'm the only one on the planet who loves Promite more than Vegemite. So I can still um, taste Promite now. Like when you bring back that memory, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Promite sort of guy. I'm sorry. It's uh, that absolutely my go-to. In fact, as soon as we finish here, it'll be a Promite, <laughs> Promite toasty, I reckon, for lunch. But... Uh, Ness Hartke, uh, I hope I finally <laughs> got it right in the end. Yeah, that deserves an applause. Uh, it has been a fascinating chat with you today. Thank you for joining us on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Uh, I've come to see and understand when it comes to bookkeeping, there's not too many who've got as big a heart as you. You exude passion for bookkeeping and I love it. That's why I asked you to come on today. Wish you all the very, very best Firstly, for Christmas, I hope there is more than Promite, Vegemite, bread and butter for you on Christmas Day. Let's just yeah. say cook and toast for everyone will be a lot easier than a full-on Christmas lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your plans for 2024, we really celebrate um, wherever um, your business goes. And uh, I want to call it out if you haven't checked it out. It's uh, In Order Business Solutions. And uh, you've got a Facebook presence, I see, and a LinkedIn presence. So you can go and check Ness out on Facebook and, and on uh, LinkedIn. Wish In Order Business Solutions all the best. And thank you for joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Thank you. And you have a great Christmas too. And thank you for all that you, you do with this um, podcast and ICB, it's just, it's a wonderful community. And, and to anyone that hasn't joined in for the, the Tuesdays with ICB, um, definitely jump in. It's, it's it. wonderful. It's great. Get on it. Absolutely. First Tuesday of the month, look out for the socials that uh, promote Tuesdays with ICB. Come and join Amanda, Linton, myself and, and Ness yep. and a, a few other regulars and we have a great time together. So we'll see you there. Thank you again, Ness, for joining us today. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for Heart of the Bookkeeper for 2023. What a year it has been with amazing guests such as Ness in this episode and so many others who have shared their journeys with us this year. I cannot thank each of you who have joined us on Heart of the Bookkeeper any more than I can do. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes of this year, Start downloading and fill your boots. Well, maybe fill the Christmas stocking this year with Heart of the Bookkeeper. My name is Rob Marshall and I want to thank all of our listeners and those of you who have tuned in throughout 2023. On behalf of the management and staff of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, a very Merry Christmas to each and every one of you and a prosperous new year in 2024. We'll be back again in 2024 with more episodes of Heart of the Bookkeeper. But I want you to remember, 
as we always call out, we love your heart. <laughs>